0: Hello and welcome to The Roadmap, a technology law podcast recorded in London by Bristos. My name is Annika Pohl and I'm an associate in the commercial technology team at Bristos. Joining me today is my co-host Alice, who is an associate in our team. Hey Alice. Hi Annika. The Roadmap is here to guide you in the right direction, all things technology law related. Today, we'll be mapping out the top three trends we foresee for cloud deals in 2022. At Bristow's, we advise, draft and negotiate cutting-edge deals for our clients. With me today is a man who leads the pack for complex cloud contracting, Toby Crick. Toby, thank you for joining us on this quintessentially British Grey Day. How are you going?
1: Pretty good, thank you.
2: So, as Annika mentioned, in today's episode, we'll be concentrating on the cloud. What is it? Well, it can be used to refer to a range of things, but broadly speaking, it's the delivery of IT services via the internet. It encompasses a wide range of services, and we've seen a real proliferation over the last few years. You've got SaaS, or Software as a Service, which is basically the provision of online-based apps, such as email or word processing. You've also got PaaS, or Platform as a Service, which is the provision of tools which enable you to build those apps, such as AWS or Microsoft Azure. We see a lot of infrastructure as a service. So that's the provision of computing resources, servers, and storage, et cetera, which can be used to build and host apps. An example of this is OpenStack, but really, anything which can be provided over the internet is an as-a-service that falls within the remit of cloud. The cloud market has really developed in recent years, and companies, both big and small, often incorporate some sort of cloud offering into their day-to-day operations. Particular trends include the rise of hyperscalers, multi-cloud and hybrid cloud platforms, and cloud as the enabler, so enabling analytics, collaboration, etc. But moving over to our expert, Toby, for users of cloud technology who are particularly keen to understand how exactly it works, what would you say are some key things for them to look out for?
1: Thanks, Alice. And and that's a very good question. I think uh, there's understanding how it works and understanding how it works. I think there's a lot of fear about needing to understand exactly how it's all coded and put together. And there's another group of people who say, oh, it's too complicated. I don't need to understand how it's put together. I'll just look at a slide deck and that's enough. And I think between the two is is where a normal person supporting a client doing one of these projects needs to be. Um, and I think what you need to understand at a principle level, at least, is, is the layers of technology that go to make up a service. You've just described quite neatly the common division of infrastructure, platform, applications. But I think understanding that How they – or the fact that they interoperate with each other is crucial, and you just described it quite nicely. You you can't have the software without the platform. You can't have the platform without the infrastructure. It all starts with the infrastructure, and ultimately, as you also said, it starts with the the internet, the connectivity. Understanding that there is a stack of solutions and then understanding which bits of that stack you are procuring – and which bits you're procuring from the cloud and which bits are not from the cloud is really important as a, as a starting point because until you understand that, understanding the contracts, which is our job as lawyers, is really hard and actually almost pointless unless you understand at least at a rudimentary level how what you're buying. Uh, and, and also um, the regulatory issues and also the, the, the core the essence of what we try and address in contracts, the risk management issues, all of that is driven by understanding what you're buying. And so in the regulatory sense, where the data is, if the data is on your software, but your software is hosted in the cloud, it's a different type of data issue than if your all the data is on application level, platform level and infrastructure level in the cloud, for example. So understanding where the data is in order to be able to conduct a, a regulatory analysis around data protection, you need to understand the technology. Similarly, on a security level, which you need, you need to think about security, particularly now is unless you understand how the service has been put together at a technical level, you can't really understand who has what kind of security obligations. And then finally, when it comes to risk mitigation, if you don't understand how the technical solution is put together, how can you manage and mitigate the risks either in your contract with your supplier or suppliers if you're building the cloud solution yourself um or or mitigating yourself by taking other measures if something goes wrong unless if you don't know what you're mitigating against what how can you do it so that that's sort of broadly i think that that understanding technology stack the data, where the data is flowing to and from, and where the risks could arise to disrupt your solution or disrupt your service.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And as you say, it's important to understand the technology stack because you've got some smaller vendors, for example, who say, here's our wonderful cloud solution. And what you need to understand is that in the background, it's, it's being hosted on AWS. So, some of the terms they're giving you might be, oh, it's because of how their services are being provided specifically. But sometimes you might want to negotiate something, but you can't really get any further because they're effectively just passing through AWS's terms. And,
1: and I think when that happens, one of the questions you have to ask them at least is, well, what am I paying you for? Because, you know, it's probably true that you're not going to get a right to audit an AWS data centre. But if they are providing software as a service and they have a team sitting in... A fintech in London or in a, a, a data data center data delivery center in, in Bangalore, those people will be looking at your data on AWS. Now you can't go and audit AWS where the data actually resides, but you might want to investigate the security measures that they have in those places where their employees are working. Because you could probably rely on the fact that AWS is quite secure, but can you necessarily rely on the fact that? A delivery center, an offshore delivery center is secure where, sure, the data is safe in Amazon, but the screens are in those rooms. People are sitting there with phones, with with thumb drives. They could be ripping that data off left, right and center. So there is, if you understand the stack, you can push people in negotiation. say, okay, I can't can't audit the infrastructure layer, but I want to audit the service delivery layer. And as soon as you start saying that, you're putting... In the negotiation, you're showing you know what you're talking about and you're actually addressing where the risks probably lie.
0: That leads us perfectly into the second trend that we're seeing, Toby, which is we're potentially seeing changes to negotiation strategies for cloud deals in 2022. Often there's a perception that it's difficult to gain much traction on key terms and conditions when negotiating contracts with hyperscalers in your experience is it possible to negotiate with our large cloud service providers if so how do you go about it
1: tough question first of all i mean we've talked about hyperscalers a couple of times and it's it's a lovely bit of jargon because it sounds really cool but it's basically jargon we mean for the massive cloud service providers essentially google microsoft and amazon in most of the world and of course in china Alibaba, who are as big in China as as AWS is in the rest of the world, and of course, those four are enormous, those four have a lot of market power, and those four are also famously pretty reliable. So, when you're dealing with them, they will give you very little ground on their contracts, Because what you are buying from them is high-resilience, relatively low-cost, super-reliable services. And you're almost relying on their brand as much as the contract you have with them. But all of them have adapted their terms and conditions to deal with regulatory pressures. And all of them have adapted their terms and conditions to deal with commercial pressure from users – across the board. And how you negotiate that will depend. If you are a very large client that is heavily regulated, you will have a different discussion than if you're a small startup trying to host your new fintech solution on one of those platforms. That goes without saying. But I think, again, it goes back to understanding the technology and the risk and the regulatory environment. If you understand all of those and you engage properly with with one of these big hyperscalers, you will have a discussion at least And that end of that discussion may be no change to the contracts, but you will have a range of information from the vendor that allows you, if ever something did go wrong, to demonstrate to the ICO or the other regulator or a third party that's suing you for damages, you did everything you could to mitigate the harm that happened to come along. And that will help the worst happens. Beyond the hyperscalers, then you have the the SaaS vendors, some of whom have always had huge strengths, and obviously, certainly Google and Microsoft both are a hyperscaler at an infrastructure level and are also provide huge platforms and huge amounts of, of software, but also the pure software, the traditional s- strongest software vendors in the world, people like Oracle and SAP, increasingly do host on the hyperscalers, but also increasingly are adopting. The approaches to negotiations that we see those hyperscalers adopt much less willingness to concede positions, but a much more forensic approach to justifying them, which is something to engage in. And finally, the third, the third group, which aren't the massive hyperscalers, is the people who perhaps apply a bit of cloud wash in order to not make concessions on their contracts. And I think that comes back to the technology and that example I gave of the fintech saying, well, we can't let you audit us because. Our infrastructures in, you know, everything's hosted on Amazon. That is, see, they're answering a different question. And as I say, if you understand technology, you can, you can push them to go further, at least for the bit they control on their T's and C's and give yourself more comfort. Because, of course, with the smaller vendors, you don't have that comfort of, you know, I'm buying IBM, I'm buying AWS, I'm buying Microsoft, it won't go wrong. Or if it does, their entire business model is set up to fix it.
0: That makes complete sense. I think something that we've increasingly been seeing is that there are software vendors who say that they have to move on to more onerous terms because they are hosting it on a hyperscaler platform. And it's really important for the lawyer who's managing those negotiations to know what's within the supplier's control and what's within the hyperscaler's control and perhaps where they can move within that negotiation.
2: Yeah. So we've talked a bit about the sort of behind the scenes piece, what's the technology stack, and how do you negotiate with your suppliers um for for a lot of businesses out there, they're using cloud technology as a means to onward provide products, services content to their customers. Toby, what are some of the things they should be thinking about when it comes to impact on their end users
1: starting point is who's your customer, and where you sit in that in that stack so some some users will be software companies who are using cloud services to make their own solutions more scalable, but who are then selling on their service. So as we've just talked about, then you're trying to flow terms and conditions on to your customers that have been imposed on you by your suppliers. Um, but I think as a, just as a pure user, as a user of technology, there's a range of things to consider. And one of them is is about how you integrate all these different tools. So if you are using a suite of cloud tools, you will have to get them to talk to each other and you'll have to get them to interoperate with each other and for data to flow across them. And yes, you can buy another tool to do that, but you you still have it. There will still be an integration role to be performed. And every corporation in the world will be using some cloud tools to a greater or lesser extent. And most of the, the big software platforms that enterprises have used forever, thinking obviously of Microsoft, but also others, are pushing their customers on to move moving to cloud services, going through a migration path to cloud services, very expensive, can go wrong. You know, that there is a there is a tension there as a user is when do I jump fully into the cloud and who do I go with? Because once I've gone with someone, I'm then beholden to their migration path because they are much, much bigger than me and have a migration path, they will not they will not change it for me. So I think I think understanding that and how you manage that is is as a, as a jumble of issues in, in what I just said, but I think the essence of it is, as a user, is getting an understanding of who will be responsible for getting all the different pieces of your technology to talk to each other, and in turn, where they will sit on what cloud platforms, etc. That process of man- ensuring seamless integration of all your systems and managing different systems migrate, upgrading or migrating to new versions at different times is is something that affects all users of IT and is very hard to actually deal with legally. As long as you know that it might happen, you can mitigate the impact contractually, particularly with your more sort of SaaS vendors, less so with the massive hyperscalers, but with, with the specific service providers or specific tools you use. A lot of people have been caught out in contracts they signed five, 10 years ago, which they're now looking to renew finding themselves having to to pay for a lot more of a migration project and then they have to find the money in their IT budget to do that to stay up to date and it's just thinking about how you how you plan for that and um actually one final and probably crucial probably most crucial thing is you know, you've you've done your integrations, you've managed your migration path, you've you've, you've got all that sorted. You you, know, you you have moved to the cloud, you are ready to go forward. But one thing you must forget is then in turn looking at your contracts with your customers. If you are dealing with them online or or electronically in any way, you know you need to then make sure that what you are providing is reflects what you have in your contracts with your suppliers. And whilst on one level that's kind of obvious, on another level. If you're dealing B to C and you're taking consumer data and ingesting it into a cloud architecture, whereas before it wasn't, you might need to change a lot of T's and C's. You know, you might need to to redo the whole web, the whole website and website terms and conditions. You might forget about doing that. And then if you're in more of a B to B space, if you're selling technology-based products, you're going to have to change your your licenses or at least review them to make sure you're not exposed to liabilities you can't back off. And so I think I think. That's the sort of final piece in the jigsaw to understand as a user is is what exposures do you have downstream?
2: Absolutely. And I think that feeds into a sort of wider digital transformation program for a lot of businesses. And in case you missed it, we actually recorded a podcast on digital transformation. So give episode one a listen. Toby, thanks so much for um, everything you've talked about today. I think some some of the key takeaways are, first, you've got to understand your technology stack, as this has a bearing on what can be negotiated. And when we're thinking about negotiations, it's important for us as lawyers, as, as those who are in the room, procurement professionals, negotiating those contracts to see where there might be room for manoeuvre. Due to scaled solutions, some things like availability of the platform or app or service um, may not be negotiable. Similarly, data protection terms, given where data is hosted and stored, but there might be some technology specific concessions to be gained. And that sort of ties in again to understanding the technology stack, because then you know where you can move around. Finally, have a think about your contracts with end users and ensure that they reflect your technology stack so you're sufficiently mitigating risk.
0: Toby, thank you for your time this afternoon. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Yes, Yes,
1: thank you. Oh, thank you. That was a really interesting conversation. Really appreciate you, you taking the time to put that together.
0: If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe, download and share this podcast. We want to make The Roadmap as practical and informative as possible for you and your business. If you have any ideas, suggestions or feedback on this or future episodes, shoot us an email at com or use the hashtag theroadmappod. Thanks for listening and we'll be back with more episodes soon.